Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with every person gathered here and and those who are in the Family Life Center worshiping, as well as those who are worshiping online away from this physical space. We welcome you into this time of worship and this time of study. A brand new series begins today, and to begin that series, I want to call your attention to the Word of God as it's found in Luke chapter 4. You turn with me to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And hey, as you're finding your way there, I'll tell you, uh, some have asked me a couple of questions about where my beard was. You know, I was working on a rabbi beard by the last, last time you saw me. Well, listen, for the record, so I get this anonymous, you know, we get a lot of anonymous. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know who you are. I got this one on the back of an offering envelope, and it says, get rid of the beard. I can't stand to look at you. And it had 50 cents inside it. So... Two things. One, come to church to look at Jesus, okay? All right. And number two, that's not why I shaved it. You may need to know I shaved it because Laura said there's more than one bedroom in this house. <laughs> so, yeah. Woo. Yeah. She may have written it. I don't know. <laughs> Can't be sure. I don't know. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the, from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during these days, and when they were over, he was famished. And then the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God... Command the stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil uh, said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours, Jesus answered him. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if, if you're the son of God, throw yourself from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you and And on their hands they will bear you up, and you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not 
put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, in this time of worship, we recognize that we can be tugged in a thousand different directions. Our energy, our attentiveness, our emotion. We can be drawn and quartered in different directions and leave this place having never even encountered you. Or, We can confess all of that before you right now and ask that your spirit do something with us that we cannot do on our own. Help us to be here now. To be so fully present that you captivate our mind's attention. To be so fully present that our heart's affection is directed to no one and no thing but you. Because we believe if we are able to do that, to fix our eyes upon you, then something about you will transform everything about us and we will leave this place differently. So come, Holy Spirit. Our hearts inspire And fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. So a guy is walking down the street. And he falls into a hole. And he sees people passing by on the top of the street and he calls out to them for help and no one stops. Eventually, he sees his doctor. And he says, hey, doc, hey, I've gotten into a bit of trouble down here. Can you lend me a hand? Could you help me? And the doctor said, sure, no problem. He takes out a pad, writes a prescription, and drops it in the hole. Yeah. Uh, A couple hours later, he looks up and he sees his priest walking by and he says, father, I've gotten myself into a little trouble here. Could you, could you help me out? And the priest pulls out a pad, writes a prayer on it, and drops it down and goes on his way. And then sometime later, he looks up and he sees his friend passing. And he says, George, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Listen, I've gotten myself into a bit of trouble down here. Can you give me a hand? Would you, would you help me out? And he said, oh, sure, pal, no problem. And he jumps into the hole with him. And he says, George, what's wrong with you? Are you you out of your mind? Now you're down here and we're both in trouble. And George says, no, don't worry about it. He said, it's okay. See, because I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. It's good when when you fall into a hole to know someone who knows the way out. But, but what do you do if you keep falling into the same hole and you get out and you fall back in and you get back out and you're doing fine for a while, but you fall back in? What happens 
when you keep tripping over the same stumbling block and you keep getting snared in the same trap. See, today we start this brand new series called Me, Myself, and Why. Why do I keep falling in the same hole? I mean, I try to do well. I try to love deeply. I try to live freely. I try to live faithfully. I try, I try to please God, order my life in a way that is um, reflective of his character in my life. But I keep tripping over the same thing and falling in the same hole, and I don't know what to do about it. See, you're not alone if you keep falling into the same hole. Whatever the name of that trap is for you, one day Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, well, the most important thing, the, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And the second is just like it is to love your neighbor at, as well as yourself, like yourself, see. But you, the problem is you can't love God without loving your neighbor. That's filled throughout all of sacred scripture, that promise and that truth is is proclaimed. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. And you really can't love your neighbor until you realize that you're one of them, worthy of love. And you can't love yourself until you start to understand yourself. Because see, when we love, that requires understanding. When you love somebody, sometimes that love will require forgiveness. Other times that love will require patience or mercy or compassion or presence. And if you love somebody, it always requires that you remember that the person you love is unfinished and imperfect, even if that person is you. And that is where the Enneagram comes in. For these next several weeks, we're in a unique kind of sermon series driven by sacred scripture and observed through the lens of an ancient wisdom tool called the Enneagram. Now, the Enneagram is just a, a fun, big word that comes from the Greek, the Greek word ennea, which means nine, and gram, which means a writing or a drawing or a graph. Enneagram, a nine-pointed drawing and that nine-pointed drawing is meant to symbolize the nine distinct kind of ways that you and I view and do our lives. The nine kinds of personalities, the nine kinds of personas, or you may want to think of it like this, the nine ways of entering into the world. You know, you, it doesn't matter if you don't know your number. It doesn't matter if you don't care about your number. The truth is, Either you or someone you love is on that graph. Made up of all the strengths, quirks, and idiosyncrasies that come with each of those distinct ways to be in the world. You might know a reformer. The, the person who, no matter, you know this guy, this is the person who no matter what they're involved in, always make things better. They improve the project. They make systems stronger and healthier. The reformer, you may Know the helper. You know that person in your life who just intuitively can recognize your needs and, and has a way of meeting that need, maybe even before you even know you have that need, or maybe you are an achiever. 
Someone who has kind of a Midas touch, no matter what you try, you're going to win at it. You just, you're good at what you do and you achieve, you win, you succeed at whatever it is that you set out to succeed at. And maybe you're not an achiever, but maybe you're an enthusiast or an or a, a individualist. And number four, an individualist, maybe you're the person who is so unique or distinct or set apart that you march to the beat of your own drum and you like it that way. It may be that you're not one of those, but maybe you're a number five. Maybe you're an investigator. Someone who has this uncanny ability to retain knowledge and information and trivia. I mean, the, the investigator is the guy that you want at your table on, on trivia night down at the chicken wings place, right? Maybe you're not one of those, but maybe you're a six, a loyalist. A loyalist will have your back. A loyalist is who you want right there with you when trouble goes down because they will not leave you or forsake you. They are there with you through thick and thin. But maybe you're not a loyalist. Maybe you are an enthusiast. The enthusiasts among us are the, the ones who are so fun to have at a party. Their life is like this never-ending party. It's one adventure after the next. Their glass is always half full. They lift up the spirit of the room, right? Or you may be a challenger, an eight, those who have this, this desire for justice, for standing up for the, the oppressed or the forgotten or the lonely, and they have the capacity to lead with firmness when firmness is required. Or maybe you are a peacemaker, and you're able to see all sides of a thing, and in your family, you're able to say, yes, you've got a point, but here's this thing. They have a point too. Can you come and see one another eye to eye? Maybe you're a peacemaker. But all of these distinct ways to enter the world come with all kinds of dynamics. In fact, the way that I sometimes talk about the, the Enneagram numbers is that whatever your number is, whatever your type, is a kind of... Uh, superpower you have a distinct way of being and doing and viewing life that the world actually needs from you you grew up somehow early on learning to take on this persona to take on this personality that by the way in the end must be stripped away but in the meantime you've learned to live in a certain way that the world needs from you but with every superpower just watch superman and you'll know with every superpower, there is a kryptonite. And sometimes the very thing that we discover we are wired to excel at, the, the very strength that we have in any of these numbers, can at the same time, just beneath the surface, just off the radar, in an unconscious way, those strengths may actually be the source of the kryptonite that keeps us falling in the same whole over and over and over again so yes you may be the reformer who can improve anything that you're involved in but at the same time if it's gone unchecked it may be that the reason you're good at that is because you have an internal critic that is constantly in a pursuit of perfection and you're really never fully satisfied with yourself or others. It may be that you are a helper, a number two, and maybe you do have the capacity to recognize the needs of others, but if you're not careful, you can recognize and spend your life meeting the needs of others at the expense of even admitting that you have any needs at all, leading you down paths of self-destruction. Yeah, you could be an achiever, a number three, 
You could win every ribbon, every trophy. You can succeed, win, achieve at what you're doing, but that drive can at times be so strong that you will even take the appearance of success over true success, leaving a sense of hollowness of heart. It could be that you are a four. You, maybe you are an individualist and you, you do march to the beat of your own drum. You're so unique, but in the day that you recognize maybe I'm the same, you fear that you may have a fatal flaw because I can't be the same. And it, it causes you to slip into a deep sense of darkness and sadness. It might be that you are an investigator. You're able to retain knowledge, to, to have inside your head at all times information that the world around you needs, but because that's such a comfortable place to which you retreat, it's possible to stay inside there for so long that those around you think that you have no emotional, relational connection possible. It might be that you are the loyalist, and man, if you're in a bar fight, you want this guy with you, right? I don't recommend bar fights. But you want the loyalists because they won't leave you. But it might be that if gone unchecked, loyalists become loyalists out of a deep, hidden fearfulness. Yeah, you could be the enthusiast who, who everybody wants at your party. Everybody wants you there as, a, 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 as the cup half full kind of person. But it's possible if gone unchecked. You never really satisfy that this is a great party, but this next one could be so much better at leaving you insatiable in the heart and soul. It could be that you're a challenger. You can stand up for the underdog, but if gone unchecked, you could also bulldog, bulldoze, and bully. Yeah, maybe you're the peacemaker. And maybe at Thanksgiving, you're the one that everybody in the family looks to to make sure this person gets along with this person. But you're so good at reducing anxiety that you have never learned to actually own an opinion of your own. So every super strength can become a kryptonite that causes us to fall into the same trap again and again and again. But we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about each one because it's either going to be you or someone you love that we want to seek to understand more. But for today, you know what I want you to think about? Very simply, I want you to know this, that on the Enneagram, no matter where you are, what your number is, doesn't matter. I want you to know this today. The Enneagram is subdivided into three groups of three, or you might call them triads. There is the heart triad, the head triad, and the gut triad. For the twos, threes, and fours among us, you are part of the heart heart triad that means everything that you do in life is driven by this awareness of feelings and emotion and relationship and everything that drives you you are led by your heart and if you are in the head triad you think your way through life five sixes sevens each in their own distinct ways think their way through their day-to-day -day living and those in the gut the eights, nines, and ones. Well, you, you, you live your life from the most trusted place, that place be 
behind your belt buckle and in front of your backbone, your instinct, your intuition. And the reason I bring these three up today as we start this kind of foundational sermon for this series is this. Every one of us in this place has every one of these triads in us. You all have heart and head and gut. You are a Trinitarian being. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And each of us has the capacity to bring head and heart and gut into our relationships and into our faith life, into our spiritual walk. But most of us will have one triad that emerges as dominant. You will be someone who primarily goes about life from the heart or goes about life from the head or navigates your journey from the gut. Nobody is exempt. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, you know, I do things that I don't want to do. And I, I don't do the things that I want to do. And it frustrates me. It's like a, like a war that's being waged within me. There is a super strength, a capacity to live my truest identity as created by God. But I tend to keep living out of this other alternative. And I keep falling in the same hole. And I don't know what to do about it. Do you know that no one is exempt from that tension and the possibility of falling into a hole, not even the Son of God? So in this passage that I just read a while ago, it's the temptations of Jesus. But what I want you to see as we look at this text closely is this. Here are the temptations of Jesus. And we're seeing uh, that all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell the same story about about the temptations of our Lord. But in Luke's gospel, the temptation stories emerge right after chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, there is this genealogy where it tells about the family tree of Jesus, his family of origin. And it's unique because in other genealogies, they go in a traditional order. They start with the oldest and make their way to the most recently born, like, like Matthew. It starts way early and says, this person begat this person begat this person, and that person begat that person who begat that person, all the way down to Jesus, right? That's Matthew. But in Luke, the genealogy is reversed. It begins with Jesus and moves backward for a very specific reason. I mean, it starts something like this. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son of, as it was thought, of Joseph, son of Haley, son of Mathat, son of Levi. Then it goes on and on, generation after generation, working backward until the end of the genealogy, which sounds like this. Son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. And then Luke has the end of chapter 3, or that, the end of that verse, end with this phrase, Son of God. And the very next verse begins the temptations of the Son of God. 
And Henry Nouwen says that that's on purpose because here it is, the Son of God. This child is not just one who was born to Mary and Joseph. This child is the one who is the Son of the Most High God. And now we will see how he is tempted to live outside of his true identity as the Son of God. And Nouwen says what I believe deeply. The greatest temptation of all for any one of us gathered here is to forget who you were intended to be. To forget who you were created to be by God. For the Son of God, it was his identity as the Son of God, and now he would be tempted to live out that identity in ways that are contrary to God's intent for him. But your temptation is exactly the same. That you were created in this world, and you know why? Because God thought you were a good idea. God thought you... In all of your quirks and idiosyncrasies and all of your imperfections, God thought you were a good idea. But as we begin to grow, we put on personas that we think may be a better idea. And as we do, it guides us down paths where there are holes in which we fall. And the greatest temptation of all is that we forget who God created us to be. Now, what does all of that have to do with the Enneagram? Just this. I believe these three temptations of Jesus were the temptations of heart, head, and gut. That the three temptations represent each of the three triads in which you and I build our houses and live and move and have our being. Take this stone. And turn it to bread. Well, that's the temptation of the head triad. Because if you're in the head triad, fives, sixes, sevens, you are driven about in this life by the unconscious motivation of fear. Don't tell me I'm afraid. I'm afraid of nothing. I know. That's why I called it unconscious. (laughs) An unconscious fear, and it manifests itself in different ways, different expressions. Fear that there's not enough, not enough information. Fear that there's not enough safety. Fear that there's not enough fun, not enough excitement, not enough adventure. But fear, nonetheless, turned this stone into bread. And you can bypass your fear that there won't be enough. The temptation number two that Jesus experienced, let the nations of the world bow down before you, is the temptation of the gut triad. Because the gut triad, those of you who are eights and nines and ones, are driven about by the unconscious motivation of anger. Anger that is just beneath the surface and unrecognizable, but it causes you to look for authority and control in your life. And each of those three numbers in that triad look for control in a different kind of way, but it's control nonetheless. Have these nations bow before you, and you'll be in complete authority. And the third temptation of Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple and the angels rescue him and and everyone sees it and, and believes is the temptation of the heart triad. Those of us who are twos and threes and fours Because we are driven around by the unconscious motivation of shame. And it manifests itself in different ways, but primary to all who are in the heart triad is this 
temptation to project an image because image is everything. Think of me as kind. Think of me as successful. Think of me as unique, see? And the temptation is if we go unexamined, each of us can fall into one of the temptations of Jesus, which is the temptation of head, heart, and gut. And it blows my mind when I think that the Son of God himself was not exempt. You know, we call him the Son of God because Scripture calls him that, but you know what his favorite name for himself was? Son of Man. Jesus preferred the name again and again, Son of Man, which in other words is translated this way, the truly human one. The Son of Man or the Son of Humanity or the, the, the representative of all humankind, that's what the Son of Man means. And I find it so very compelling that the representative of all humankind experienced every kind of triad temptation and yet did not succumb to staying in the hole. And I think of what Hebrews says about him. He, these words, for, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Or I love the way Eugene Peterson translates that exact same phrase or that exact same verse. This is how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experiencing or experienced all of it, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so readily, what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. You know how I would translate all that? This one has been in the hole and knows the way out. Whatever the hole is for you that you have tripped into, whatever the trap is that keeps you ensnared, he's been there and knows the way out. And beloved, these next nine weeks, I believe, will change lives. I believe with all of my heart they will change relationships. They will change how we think about ourselves and others, and they will change how we think about the God who created you and thought that you were a good idea. And I pray that you will accept this invitation to this series not as simply an interesting series about this ancient tool, but rather as a holy invitation to let the Son of Man walk you out of the hole that you keep falling into. This is a perfect opportunity to use this series to love your one into the church. Remember my Christmas Eve challenge? Between now and Christmas Eve, I want everyone in this church to love one person into this church and this may be the transforming sermon series for you to welcome them, to sit with them, pick them up, take them and buy their lunch afterwards. It's a holy invitation to transformation. Now, that's the end of the sermon. That's the end of the setup. There's no punchline after that other than be here next week. And so my prayer for you is that this week, may you be fully aware that when God thought of you, God actually thought that you were a good idea. And may you this week 
be fully aware that every temptation that you have ever experienced is the same temptation to forget who you are and be tugged into a false self that God never intended. And may you this week be so provoked by a compelling invitation that you come and you open your minds and your hearts to the one who knows you best and loves you most. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we, we do recognize that in this moment, we are at the brink of a potentially transforming season in the lives of our, our church members and the lives of our shared life as a church because we recognize that you intend for us to live fully and freely, to love with a love that is whole and healthy, to have relationships in our families and at work and in our neighborhoods that reflect the compassion, the mercy, the, the mutual humility and submission that we see in you. But we recognize we've got some work to do. We recognize that many of us here need to understand ourselves better so that we might live and love from a posture that is healthy and a posture that is strong. And so we pray this day, if there is any among us in need of your, your healing touch, that you would give them the courage to open their hearts to you now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.